Welcome to Small Business Celebration. We're continuing our series on small business sustainability. And our guest this week, well, he is conducting a very special type of insurance. This is Small Business Celebration. Welcome, where we're celebrating small businesses for big breakthroughs. Welcome to Small Business Celebration, and our guest this week is Douglas Carruthers, the partner with Personal Ag Management. Welcome to Small Business Celebration. Hey, it's great to be here. And for visioneers who don't know who you are, who are you and what is it that you do? My name is Douglas Carruthers. I'm a partner here at Personal Ag Management, uh, a firm that specializes in two things. That would be government assistance for farm farmers and uh, crop insurance, a very niche and weird thing. Now, the reason we're talking with Douglas today is because every single business and every single industry has a unique set of needs and skills. And with that comes insurance. Now, yes, everybody knows that you need homeowners insurance and liability insurance and property insurance and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But depending on what business you're in, your industry may have a very specific type of insurance designed specially for your industry. And that goes for you. Oh yeah. Who do you serve? Primarily, uh, it's gonna be the farmers. What's really unique about crop insurance versus other insurance, we don't do buildings, cars, there are other great uh, insurance agents who can cover those sorts of things. Right. Well, we cover, and in, in California specifically, is the fruit on the trees. Okay. Or the fruit on the vine, uh, the food in the ground. It's only while it's in the ground, it's only while it's producing. So it's during a very short time window of from seed all the way until harvest. If it's an annual, if it's a perennial, we have kind of an artificial cutoff date, but basically from when the flowering starts until the end of harvest as well, so. The moment that something gets picked or something gets pulled out of the ground, your, your coverage stops. It's done, yeah. And what kinds of instances does your insurance cover? Primarily weather related. And uh, this weekend was a great example of that. Uh, I know this will probably air later, but um, right. Hillary just- uh, Hurricane hit, Hillary. Hil Hurricane Hillary right. just hit a once in an 80 year event. I think that was right. the last time that they said something like that happened. Right. So not something that we're typically used to seeing on the West Coast, but right. obviously something that uh, we see quite a bit on the East Coast. Right. But it's a great example. I mean, we were fielding calls all this week to growers to find out what kind of damage had occurred on their crops. And what's also very interesting is unlike your house or your car, it's pretty obvious when right. damage has occurred. Right. And crops, if you stress a tree out because it's been hot too many days at the wrong time, you may not see the damage now, mm. but at harvest you will. Okay. So we also have a very different process there. And the other really great thing about crop insurance versus any other type of insurance is you want to file claims. You want to file claims frequently, often, as many. Really? If you think that there's any sort of reason for a loss, right. you're going to file a claim because the worst that they're going to tell you is you're not meeting your deductible, right. so we're not going to pay you any money. But if you do have that instance where you meet your deductible and they pay you money, you don't want to leave that behind. Taking one step aside for just a moment, yeah. all of your crop insurance is federal. 
Not quite all of it, but most of it is. Okay. Um, and just out of curiosity, is it because the risk is so high that private insurance will not cover it? Yeah, so it's it's kind of a twofold problem. So generally okay. in insurance, what you try to do is you do something called pooling your risk, which right. is you make sure that you have a wide swath of area so that when this little thing over here is affected, the the masses over here are in essence paying for it, right? right? Because they weren't affected and you don't have to pay out all these claims in a single area all at once. Crop insurance, because it's tied to crops in the ground, crops are grown regionally and have to be because of uh, soil conditions, climate conditions, and all sorts of that. All of the same crops grow in all of the same areas. So there's literally no way to pool your risk. So if a tornado goes through Nebraska, Ohio, and the entire Midwest, that wipes out all the all the corn. Corn, soybeans, cotton, dry beans. Yeah, it's yeah. it's gonna it's gonna knock out everybody, and it's gonna knock them out in such a way that no single insurer. Uh, could pay for it. In well, addition survive, to that, yeah. what's wonderful about crop insurance is it's a public-private partnership. Okay. It's implemented by the private sector that would be business owners like myself, major corporations like Chubb International, which is, I believe, the largest commercial insurance uh, agency out there, but also AIG, the people that you know, right. uh, Zurich, and then they have their individual people, groups that facilitate their crop insurance. And then we also have the reinsurance category, which are really high level. Most your average American isn't gonna be aware of that, but it's essentially insurance for insurance. Hmm. So when they have to pay out major claims, there's a whole nother insurance company that will step in and pay them to pay out those claims. And then the biggest reinsurer of last resort is the United States federal government. And this, leads us to one of your biggest strengths in the business, which is your lobbying efforts. Yeah. Most business owners, we're very familiar with the annual farm bill, <laughs> you know, because it's almost as omnibus as the defense spending bill. Yeah. What is your role in making that happen? I got involved with uh, the, the crop insurance lobby by virtue of my dad, who was working with them. They right. saw that he was started this agency, which one of the number one uh, agencies in California in terms of premium sold and whatnot. And they said, this guy has some ability. And so he came in and started doing the lobbying. And the American Association of Crop Insurers, with whom I work, uh, represents not just uh, the insurers, but they also represent the reinsurers and the crop insurance agents. So we're the closest to the farmers. Mm. When my dad decided to step down from that, um, he saw my natural ability and performance and background and said, you know, you liked living on the East Coast from a before time. And he was like, why don't you go back and do this? And I absolutely love it. And uh, it's very different from what you see on TV. Nearly everybody in Congress is right. there because they believe in their constituency, they're there to help, and they want to hear from their people and how they can actually do something that will help. A lot of times the bureaucracy of Washington slows down everything, but they really do want to help right. um, in any way that they can. Somebody asked me what it's like to be over there, and, and I go, it's like trying to move a boulder with a feather. Right, sure. But the thing is, the boulder does move. Right. And, and I've uh, actually had a hand in some changes that have come down at a national level. So when I think about that, 
uh, sometimes it's it's like mind boggling to think that you know some word that I said to some congressman had an impact to have an entire federal agency add a a new level of something or expand something that's going to affect the entire nation and our, and really it does come down to every single person because at the end of the day our stable food supply is what makes this country be able to do the things that we're able to do. We're a chief exporter of food in the world. Right. Um, and so you look at the most war-torn countries and they're almost all people who have to import their food. When you have to struggle just to get the bare necessities, you can't worry about the smaller minutia of you know philosophical life like Americans have the luxury of doing. In the next segment, Douglas talked briefly in passing about before times. And we're also going to talk about, okay, I'm the third generation. How do I leave my mark on the family business? But before we do that, if visionaries want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? So I think the easiest way is actually the old school ways. We we respond to phone best because we're such kind of a niche industry. Right. We have our people and they generally know how to get in touch with us. You can also reach me at Douglas at PamInsurance.com or 661-831-4676. Remember, some people still have numbers memorized. It's, <laughs> it's amazing in 2023. Sure. That number has been in my family for a long time, so it's like ingrained in there. We also do have a website, www.personalagmanagement.com. It's a handful to type in, and just generally it'll get you any other contact information that you need. And when we come back, we're going to talk about before times, leaving your mark. And if you like Small Business Celebration, go ahead and like, subscribe, and notify. And we'll talk more about those before times when we come right back. The winter season is rapidly approaching, but are the tires on your car or truck ready for wet weather? Bakersfield's best tire store, Clarou Tire, has been serving families like yours for 80 years and installs and services the tires your family depends on when the wet weather comes. Give Clarou Tire a call at 661-324-6069 and ask them about what tire works best for you and your budget. Call Clarou Tire at 661-324-6069 or visit them at 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield or at ClarouTire.com today. The wet winter weather is rapidly approaching. Call Clarou Tire at 661-324-6069 today. I'm here with Douglas Carruthers, partner with Personal Ag Management, and our visionary question comes from Kate, who asks, I'm in year four of taking over the family business. What did you do to leave your mark on the business and make it your own? It's been a challenge. Um, I think for me, I've, I've always been this sort of person with a plan, mm -hmm. and so learning to operate without a sort of plan, right? Because now being partner that I am top level, there's nowhere else for me to go. I mean, sure, I can operate within the minutia. But you have to wait till your father retires right. to become managing partner. Right, exactly. And and if I'm selected too, because right. there are other partners, right? You can put your personal stamp on it at any time. And I think 
everybody has something that they're bringing to the table. And my background is way different than anybody else's. You didn't go to school to, to go into the to, to ag management? My journey, completely different. Okay. I had a great talent within music. Okay. Um, I still do. I decide to pursue that as a passion. Okay. And uh, much to my dad's chagrin, actually, he, he told me, hey, if you go to CSUB, uh, I'll make sure that you don't have to worry about, you know, that pesky college tuition and, <laughs> and, and then you can do whatever you want after that. And we went and toured, uh, some campuses on the East coast and, and I just, I, I decided that that's what I wanted to do. And I think in that moment he respected me for making the wrong decision, quite <laughs> frankly. Yes, but you made one. <laughs> yes, I did. Moving me forward into what became the next step, um, I didn't know until later about this whole world of higher level music. And when I got there and opened up my eyes, I thought, oh God, I want to do that. I want to go to Juilliard. Right. Um, so I applied to go to Juilliard. Uh, I did not get into Juilliard. I, I kept my rejection letter somewhere. Uh, but I did manage to get into a place called the Boston Conservatory. Right. Um, I studied composition there. So okay. that's the guy who's writing the music. So it's picture, you know, sitting in a dark corner somewhere with a candle and you're by yourself and nobody <laughs> likes you and you're writing music. Um, if, if that doesn't seem like it fits me perfectly, um, go with your instincts. Because <laughs> I... While I love to write music, I think of music as sort of like an active puzzle happening, and that's the way right. that my brain thinks about it, and is sort of picking it apart, and is like, how can you have this weird, crunchy chord, and how can you justify that in the context of, and that's happening live within my brain, especially if I'm improvising or right. whatever. I, I was there for uh, four years, finished up, but my real goal was to become a conductor. It was always mm. the goal. So I went to another college called Bard College. And there was a guy there named Harold Farberman. He was 80 years old. Uh, right. When he was young, he was the youngest player to ever play in the Boston Symphony Orchestra. He was a conductor, a master conductor uh, by the time, I don't know, 30 or something like that. It, right. it was ridiculous. Conducted the London Symphony Orchestra, had some of the preeminent recordings of uh, the Ives symphonies as well as the Mahler symphonies. If you don't know music like I do, that's pretty freaking impressive. Sure. Those guys are are kind of Top nuts. tier, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so his retirement plan was as an 80-year-old to come back and teach. Uh, and so this is the guy that I went and studied with. And uh, a quick now, uh, like layout of what conducting class is. Right. Harold is 80 years old. He has a score of music like a Brahms symphony, which is probably 90 pages long. He never opens the book. And I have to stand about 10 feet away from him, conduct and sing every part in orchestra in front of him. Whatever I'm conducting, I need to be singing, whether it makes sense melodically or not. That's right. what I need to be doing. And then he looks not just at you and tells you where you did everything wrong, but he looks down <laughs> into your soul and tells you where you're weakest there, too. So That's not intimidating at it's all. It's not intimidating at all. You are not completely exposed uh, at all. So... So I have to ask, did going through that grueling process of having your soul exposed to a burning flame, yeah. did that help you prepare you for Washington? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no kidding, right? Like, 
there are times when I'm sitting uh, uh, across the the couch or the you know the coffee table uh, or sometimes in a very very small cramped office. It could be like you, you would not believe how small and cramped some of these Washington offices are. And I'm sitting there talking to somebody who's third in line from the presidency, right. fourth in line. You know, right. yeah, and and ultimately it makes it an easy conversation to have with them because I've been under the microscope before and, and mostly like I said before they're there to help they really do want to help and we see on TV is not what they are in real life then you graduate and then you go out into the real world fly be free yeah. and you flew like <laughs> like a stone <laughs> <laughs> <Fun>. <laughs> There's a, there's a great many things that I could say about my whole music career. It took me a long time to come back to the family business or, or to come here in the first place. Right. I did need to sow my wild oats, so to speak. Um, the There's a luck factor, and then there is a factor that, as I've gone back as an alumni and talked to some of the institutions that I went and studied at, um, I said, you know, what really would have helped me is if you would have told me I'm Douglas M. Carruthers doing business as Douglas M. Carruthers. Uh, kind of laid out for me that after school, I'm going to have to know how to network and market myself and that my best opportunities are not going to come from the fact that I have this knowledge that nobody else has. It's going to come from the people who I've made connections with and who know me and know what I'm capable of. Right. So... Those were my cardinal sins. The mm -hmm. cardinal sin that was outside of my control was I graduated in 2010. Actually, 2008, then 2010. Nothing happened. Nothing until... happened in those <laughs> years. <laughs> Just the whole bottom of the economy yeah. fell out. Yeah. yeah, there were more orchestras. And I remember it was like on a weekly basis, it seemed like there was a new orchestra that was filing for bankruptcy during that time. Because when the financial sector is cratering, the nonprofit sector craters too and craters longer because right. they don't start to get back up until the rest of the economy does. And right. then there's a little bit of a, a you know, window there before the giving starts to return. And right. so not a lot of people looking for young conductors at that time. And this is a very long way of answering the question <laughs> from Kate. <laughs> that is so true. I'm sure we got a many tangents there. I'm so sorry, Kate. But what this brings though is you, you've been brought into the family business. Yeah. And when you came into the family business, your dad didn't just say, well, here's a book of business, manage it, have a nice day. Yeah. What happened? I think what I understood when I got here was we were going to build something new together. And I think at first that was going to happen. But then as with any life and small business happens, some major changes happened within the business that uh, needed to be addressed. We had somebody who had been with the company for a long time who uh, departed. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that left a bit of a vacuum. And so then it was like pivot, pivot, pivot. And then you find find your way in there. I was told, you know, that I've got to build this book. And we weren't even sure what I was going to do. It was sort of was like... So you go, had to build your own book of business. Yeah. What was hard for me is 
we have an extremely strong agent here, the best in the business, in my uh, opinion. His name is Indy Dosange. Uh, is a member of the Punjabi community here. Is right. stellar. And between him and my brother, and we have another agent up in our Visalia office too, Kathy, it seemed like so much was already covered. Mm. And it was like, where do I find my entry point? That uh. was really hard for me. So what I started to do uh, was there were products out there that we weren't really selling. And then I looked at those and I said, well, are these a value first, right? right? And so the, the first one uh, was this dairy program. Even though it's old, it's been around since the 30, modern crop insurance is very, very young and amazing. Mm. And so the dairy program was one of these programs just written in 2018. We have a pretty large uh, dairy client list. And so I started reaching out to him, called him up, and I said, this is how this works. So that program came out in 2018. Uh, 2018 was pretty low in terms of the buy-in. 2019 was pretty low in terms of the buy-in. But I had managed to get people signed up right before 2020. And when that happened, well, the dairy market just went wacko. And so managed to get a lot of people um, signed up for that program. We got a lot of money paid out in claims from that first year. And it's kind of been all over the place. Since then, it's, it's come down a bit, but I've moved into other areas. And that's kind of where I've put, uh, maybe back to Kathy's question, that's where I've put some stamp of approvals. I found these areas where we haven't, the other agents are covering the core product solidly. And I'm sort of looking, well, what's new? What's on the horizon? What's on the pipeline? Where are we going? And how can I be in that place so that when the opportunity is there, I can strike and it's already ready to go? When we come back, we're going to be talking about creativity in a conformist industry. When we come right back. The reason we're talking with Douglas Crothers, the partner here at Personal Ag Management, is because of a visioneer question that came from a visioneer just like you. We had a visioneer that wanted to find out about the duality of having a business where you're trying to be creative, but you're in a non-creative industry. How do you deal with that? So if you've got a question, you've got a thought, something you'd like to learn about here on Small Vision Celebration, reach out to us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, and let us know. Who knows, your question could appear here on Small Business Celebration. So reach out to us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram today. I'm here with Douglas Carruthers, partner with Personal Ag Management, and our visionary question comes from Jeff who asks, how do you let your creativity out in a very detail-oriented, conformist business? That is such a good question. <laughs> I can't, I mean, I... I... Where do you begin? <laughs> So luckily, you you preempted me a bit with this question, right? Because when I the, when I read that question, it hit me, and I was like, "Oh my God, that's such a good question!" Like, really, let me think about this because I think so many of us, and there's all different levels of conformity and rigidity within whatever we're doing. If you are selling a product that selling Ginsu knives, there's a certain amount of rigid. I mean, you're selling the knives. You can't sell a cheese grater, you're selling knives, right? right? Sure. So there's there's conformity and rigidity in whatever we're selling. And with federal crop insurance, 
it literally says it has to be the same. Right. Rain and hail cannot provide a different kind of coverage than uh, RCIS. Those are two of our insurance carriers that we right. use. So we are talking about an extremely conformist industry. Right. That's where I have to say you always have the ability to go in there and have some control over it. You know, what I say, my insurance is the lobbying. Mm. Because that's where I get to go back and, mm. and have some control over what these programs are. And if a, a grower comes out to me, and this happens often, and they go, you know, explain this thing to me. Explain to me why I didn't get this or why it's not like that. And then they go, why did they ever write it like that? And I go, you know, I don't know. I didn't write that. But what I can do is I can take this concern back to Washington at the highest level and let's take a look at it and see if there's some better way of doing it. We've done that multiple times. Mm. You know, that ability to go back, and I would say if you're finding that you're stuck in some conformist pattern, find the higher level, find out how to interface with them and figure out a way to be a part of the product creation. And, mm. and when I say it's like taking a feather and moving the boulder, the thing is, is the boulder does move. When you're not here at the office, what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, so... When I was studying music and pursuing that, I was kind of miserable mm. uh, in retrospect. I look back is that I'm sure many of your fellow business owners will identify with this. I was a high achiever, had a plan, had goals, always going after them, right. always falling short, mm. looking back super hard on myself. I used to spend my birthdays in quiet solitude where I'd reflect on the previous year to see whether I measured up to where I wanted to be. The answer was mostly no, right. and I mostly was miserable during those times. And so when I flipped that script and said I want to be on the other side of this, it became... And through Rotary, I got involved with giving back, mm. with taking some of the things that I've been given and helping lift other people up. And that is my number one way of spending time. Like I said, I'm currently president, so that is probably taking as much of my brain power as business is right now. Right, sure. Because I've got to implement meetings on a weekly basis right. and keep it fresh and, and fun. But finding ways to impact the Bakersfield community, because I love this community. Mm -hmm. I've lived in multiple other states, big cities, small places that are smaller than this. There is just something in the water here when we have it uh, that is <laughs> wonderful. We are close. There's nowhere in the world that I can think of where you're a four-hour drive from anywhere that you'd want to be. Big city, small city. Forest, mountain, desert. I mean, Bakersfield is just in the pocket of everywhere. And I love this community. I love the people that grow up here or move here. I want to see them thrive. And so giving back to them is is pretty much how I spend my time. I also do some reading and video gaming and stuff like that, too. I mean, I can't take up all my time. I don't want you to think I'm <laughs> just out there, noble business owner, and then philanthropist at night, you know. I'm Bruce Wayne, basically. Not quite. I'm pretty lazy most days. What makes you wake up every morning and open your business? <sighs> it's been hard. This wasn't my passion. Mm. This is my dad's passion in a lot of ways. And, and so much of it is still his and isn't mine. Yeah. 
what I found is that the philanthropy that I do is the soul of what I do. That's what keeps me going. And this endeavors to let me do that. So it's, it's humbled me in, in quite a few ways. And so right now I get up because one, I work with great people and two, it's an extremely noble industry. I mean, as I've kind of did earlier, I, I can tie it back to our national security and the fact that we have a stable food supply is what makes America great. There's all these little things and I get to be a part of that. And at one point, hopefully I'll get to find a way to figure out where my particular passions. And I really think that more so than the music, that's the leadership, uh, will be able to factor into what I do here. Tomorrow is great. I was always a forward looking, whatever's happened behind you, if you're coming in and just, I mean, it's just the hardest year of your life, that sophomore phase, right? Like in the beginning, you're excited, you know stuff, you learn stuff, you go hard, and then you start making a few mistakes. And then you get just pushed back and it's where you think that you know stuff, but then you don't really know stuff. Right. That sophomore phase, that's the worst part. But tomorrow is going to be so much better. There's so much more happening. I'm looking forward to the trajectory that crop insurance is going into because I think that there's huge opportunities for me to take some of my financial skills and performance skills and continue to help this industry grow. Um, and that's what gets me up and, and going. And then ultimately it helps fund me so that I can go and be a member of this community that helps to make it a really wonderful community to be in. Douglas, this has been a real treat. Thank <laughs> you for joining us here on Small Business Celebration. Yeah, my pleasure. I, this is fantastic. And if visionaries want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? So if you want to get in touch with me, uh, you can reach out to me by email, Douglas of Pam Insurance. That's P-A-M is in Mary Insurance, Personal Ag Management Insurance.com. You can reach out via the website, also has contact information. You can call that number I gave earlier, 661-831-4676. What was that number again? 661-831-4676. <laughs> or I am on LinkedIn. You can do a Google search, Douglas Carruthers, uh, or get on LinkedIn and search my name on there too. That's pretty much the only social media presence that I have, but I do answer eventually on there. So, yeah. And I'll be right back with my final thought. The winter season is rapidly approaching, but are the tires on your car or truck ready for wet weather? Bakersfield's best tire store, Clarou Tire, has been serving families like yours for 80 years and installs and services the tires your family depends on when the wet weather comes. Give Clarou Tire a call at 661-324-6069 and ask them about what tire works best for you and your budget. Call Clarou Tire at 661-324-6069 or visit them at 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield or at ClarouTire.com today. The wet winter weather is rapidly approaching. Call Clarou Tire at 661-324-6069 today. As little as one degree. 
The other day I took a drive up to Kernville, which is on the edge of Lake Isabella in the mountains outside of Bakersfield, and I was really happy to see the water levels as high as they are because over the last couple three years we've been going through a drought and peppered across the lake were all these houseboats. And I remember the first time I set foot on a houseboat. I went up to the bridge and I was expecting to see a big steering wheel that navigated the, the houseboat across the lake. And in reality, there was this little tiny black box. It was about five by seven. And it had this little tiny knob on it. And the knob was what navigated the houseboat. And you could change course by as much as 180 degrees or as little as one half to one degree. And growing up in Ridgecrest by China Lake Naval Weapons Center, I knew that what the Navy often does is if they're out at sea and they know that there's a typhoon or a hurricane out there, they'll course correct their ship by just one degree and be able to bypass the whole storm. Now, we're getting into the fall of the year, and this is the time of year where all the kids are going back to school, and we're going through and making that mad dash for the next couple, three months to get as much business done as we can so that we can enjoy the holidays with our family. But this is also the time of year where we take to the 30,000 foot level and think about our business for next year. What do we want our business to look like? What do we want it to grow? What kinds of changes would we like to see in our business? But this is also the time of year where we sit there and contemplate about the typhoons and the hurricanes that may be on the horizon. What kinds of course corrections do we need to make or anticipate or plan for? Do we need to change the products or have the ability to change the products and the employees or what it is that they do? What kinds of things that we need to change system-wise or do we just need to come up with something new and different altogether? After all, with the hurricanes and the typhoons that may be on the horizon, now is the time that our businesses can take that 30,000 foot level and adjust what we need to do by changing it just by one tiny degree. I hope you enjoyed our conversation this week with Douglas Carruthers, the partner at Personal Ag Management, and I hope you learned something that you can use today to grow a strong and profitable business, and we'll see you here again next week when we celebrate another small business making a big breakthrough. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you might find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. That's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. If you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to the Small Business Celebration Podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. Also, if there's a business you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on LinkedIn and Facebook and let us know. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.